Hello and welcome to Author at Films with Shivam and Mandy. Um, this is episode three of our podcast and we have a very special guest today with us. He's he's done a couple podcasts, the Take Three podcast, the Bleacher Boys podcast. He's working on a few movies. He's done a brilliant play and he's done a lot more on YouTube. Let's give it up for Ben Thompson. Hi. Thank you for having me. Um, thank you for that introduction too. Very, uh, very nice of you. I don't know. I'm humbled. So let's just, we're going to just get some discussion going. What was the last film you guys saw? Um, I watched, I watched only God forgives by Nicholas winding Refn. And it was good. It was good. I liked it. Okay. Four out of five, I think. Yeah, it was good. Like I like neon lights and grotesque violence. So that was the Yakuza one, right? Uh, no, that's the one in Bangkok. Oh, okay, okay. Did yeah. Winding Refn make a movie about the Yakuza, or am I just stupid? No, I don't. Th- I don't think he did. Okay. No. But there's a Jar Leto film about the Yakuza. Yeah, the, the outsider is that the. That's <laughs> okay. Why did I think of that? Um, I need to watch that. Is it good? Not. I heard bad things about it. Uh, I wouldn't bother. Yeah, from what I I've read. Uh, what about you, Ben? What was the last film you saw? The last film I watched is a documentary called Jim and Andy, about the production of the uh, film Man on the Moon, I think it's called, about the story of Andy Kaufman, and basically how Jim Carrey, in his own words, let Andy Kaufman take control of him and kind of caused trouble on set. Um, there's a, I, I think it's a very interesting exploration of like acting and the craft. I th- I thought it was pretty funny at points because um, one thing I liked that they did was that they made it kind of vague whether or not Jim was actually taken over by the spirit of Andy or if he was just, you know, really, really deep into character. But the whole time when they were talking about Tony Clifton, they were just like, oh, no, Tony Clifton's a different person uh, because that's what Andy Ka- That was Andy Kaufman's character, if you don't know. And mm-hmm. anytime he'd play Tony, he would say, oh, no. Andy Kaufman and Tony Clifton are different people. In fact, he had his um, writing partner, Bobby Zmurda. I can't remember his last name. Uh, He had him dress up as Tony Clifton and do the impression 10 years later or 10 years after his death or 20 or something. But I thought the morality of it was a bit weird too. Like there were points where Jim was telling stories about how he would like talk to Andy Kaufman's family as Andy and like that really bothered me like that that seems very yikesy like especially when he's talking to that's questionable that's, the daughter uh... that Andy never knew he had and never met that's as Andy that's uh I don't know but it's a very interesting documentary and I highly recommend it I give it like a 4 out of 5 Andy Andy passed away during, before this happened, right? Um, so they made they the, he passed away year. They, they were making a biopic about him. They made the movie. They, the movie came out in nineteen ninety eight. 
Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah, th this was this was a documentary about the biopic, not Andy Kaufman. Oh damn, that was the wild. Like, it's a decent movie too. Interesting. It's on Netflix, right? Um. So I saw District B thirteen, which is a French action thriller that is absolutely bonkers, and it's kind of brilliant. So it's. Directed by, let me get this guy's name right, uh, Pierre Morel. And it's from 2004, uh, but you so can't really tell. Like, uh, I, I was guessing it was like from 2008 or 9. Um, it looks like, visually, it looks quite modern. Um, and it basically had um, this super police, like the super cop type guy teams up with a local insurgent from District 13, which is, like, the most deadly district in, like, the Paris, France, re France region. And it's basically been walled out. So everything, just, like, is, all the violence is contained in this one little quadrant, and it's just hell, basically. Um, and a neutron bomb gets, like, ends up in this district. So now they have to team up to defuse the neutron bomb and save uh, the, the criminal... Lieto, um, Lieto's sister. Now, what I love is that the film is like stars David Bell, who is known for being the modern um, pioneer of parkour. So the action sequences are absolutely bonkers. And there's some amazing sort of like uh, fights and handheld combat and stunt work. And it's incredibly thrilling. I highly recommend it. I'm pretty sure the whole film is on YouTube for free, like a lot of films. Um, and it's only 85 minutes, so it never drags. It's very snappy. It's Yeah, I highly recommend you guys check it out. Alright, I'll have to. Sounds cool. So, did you guys hear the new news about um, the Oscars, where they're going to be allowing basically any film that is on streaming um, in the last year or so to be eligible for an Oscar. Yeah, and I can't wait for David Fincher to win his Oscar finally. Uh, wait, is Mank releasing this year? Or? Yeah, oh, Mank is going to be a Netflix original. Um, I, I Honestly, out of the three Netflix movies I'm more most like anticipating, Mank is the one that I want to get all like the big awards because like thinking of ending things, Probably my most anticipated movie of the year, but Charlie Kaufman's won his Oscar. Defy Bloods, Spike Lee has also won his Oscar. Fincher's never gotten his chance yet, and I think he really deserves it because he's one of the best modern filmmakers of our day. And it's about Citizen Kane, so... I mean, yeah, oh, true. Oh, God, yeah, he's got this in the bag. <laughs> What's interesting is... So, if you didn't know, previously there was a rule that every film, if you want to be eligible for an Oscar, has to play at a cinema in Los Angeles for like a limited run or like a certain run um mm -hmm. and netflix would ne that's how netflix has been getting their films with oscars they would go to an la cinema and run it for a few mm -hmm. weeks um to yeah. a limited run and now they're doing that quite a bit now so basically they've turned that off so that means it's fair game for everyone uh this could mean that indie films from like international indie films might have a shot as well um, mm, I mean, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I, 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 he, it's still going to be like, 
they're still gonna only look at like the auteur i mean as much as i'd love to see like you know um jim cummings movie get oh, yeah, recognition I, I don't know I if that one's still it. coming out this year or not but like um as much as i'd love to see that they're gonna recognize like i don't know tenant i know that's coming out in theaters but they're gonna definitely recognize that they're gonna recognize yeah. like yo what's that about like how are they still raising in theaters how is wb so confident then uh, they have to be gonna get moved gonna they, get no no they have to be they they really have to be this movie's like two a 200 million dollar movie they no, can't the thing is it. the thing is christopher nolan always sells out in theaters not at like home releases so I think that's what they're betting on. But who's going to come out and watch the movie? Is my I mean, it, dude, this is America. We've already got people protesting to get the fuck out of this quarantine. Like, <laughs> I mean, you're talking about America, but India, there is there are so many stands here in India. Like, you, you would not believe it. People still mm-hmm. use Heath. People still put, like, shit quotes on Heath Ledger's Joker. So, you should understand. <laughs> Nolan, Nolan has a big market. Here. And basically yeah. everyone's uncle posts a Joker image to WhatsApp group daily at this point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah I, I, I'm guessing Dune, Dune and uh, Mank and Tenet, I don't think will get any big ones. Maybe they'll give mm. some. Note. But I think oh, like, like, Dune, it, it's going to be loud. So they're going to win the sound award. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I think Dune is kind of sweeping up a lot this one. Uh, yeah, maybe. I mean, let's hope. I mean, at least maybe Denny will can win his first Oscar. Maybe, who knows? I'm, I'm hoping hopeful. it does. Man. I mean, let's see. I mean, I have faith in that movie. I know a couple of people. My co-host of um, Take Three, Adam. He be, because he's basing it off of like how poorly the production of Hodorowski's iteration went, and then how bad lynch's was he doesn't have much faith in this one but i keep telling him like man he's he's like and he's an author man like he's made like seven eight films but he's already an author in my opinion he's 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 had one of the greatest runs of any director i've ever seen because he went like i don't know four years where he put out a movie and each was a masterpiece yeah uh just like he did um let's see so he he did prisoners and enemy Prison. in the same year then he did both um, masterpieces then he did sicario in 2015 arrival in 2016 and then blade runner in 2017 yeah like he missed out on 2014 but that's a well he made up i mean he made two movies in 2013 yeah. But yeah, he has a great track record. Um, and the only thing I'm skeptical about Dune, because I saw like the images, is that, I don't know, the costumes or suits look a bit weird, in my opinion. Um, I mean, those are on-set pictures. We don't know how they're going to look in the final. True. But I just feel the armor that they wear holds no weight <clears throat> to it. It feels like it's cosplay armor. It, doesn't feel, it feels weightless. Uh, it just feels a bit like it's so weird. It feels at the same time really high budget, but really like low budget TV show. I'm not sure. I hope that it looks great in the in the film. Mm-hmm. I have full faith. Like you know, once you put the color grading, once you do the lights and properly set it up, it's, I'm excited though. Uh, the cast is completely stacked, so there's that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
you know what yeah. movie i think should get some recognition i think last night in soho like edgar is that still I, coming out this year yeah i'm guessing like he it, hasn't it given got taken off of the like release schedule i know like it was yeah, supposed but, to come out in september and then they just yeah. kind of like eh, this virus is what are we gonna do yeah it's currently unscheduled at the moment but um i guess we can we can just pray that it comes out because it's a psychological horror time travel film by edgar wright that sounds incredible i i hope he kind of does a i mean and this may be an unpopular opinion but and i love edgar wright's style don't get me wrong i love him as a director i want to see him do kind of a damien chazelle where he changes up and kind of doesn't do what is expected of him because he says he's been watching movies like repulsion and like a some movie i can't remember which one by like a i think i don't remember my bad uh he he's been watching these movies which are not like baby driver and scott pilgrim and i really hope that means he's kind of experimenting like i love like directors sticking to like a style but at the same time i love watching directors step outside of their comfort zone that's why i liked first man so much i know that one wasn't like as highly praised but i thought it was a very good like departure from uh what damien chazelle is used to oh i agree um i do think yeah i do want him to just change things up a bit as much as i love the snappy sort of like quick cuts and whip pans of his previous work i want to i want to see what he does the more subdued approach to his filmmaking mm-hmm. um but one thing i am excited for is well i mix on this i feel like the indie film industry is gonna get a beating this year metaphorically speaking because all the big films will probably come out in November. Dune, um, No Time to Die, Black Widow. Like These are like the big money makers. Yeah. And I can't see a film like Green Knight or Minari or After Yang, like all those A24 films, surviving in November in their slated release date. So I feel like they'll get decimated in November, basically. So... I do feel we're going to get a huge amount of comedies and indie films pushed onto VOD. Now, that could be both a blessing and a curse because that would allow a lot of people to experience indie films, um, especially outside of the US, because um, in Asia, it is tough to watch um, American indie films um, in cinemas or at home because they always come out really late for us. So maybe this change-up could allow international audiences to further tap into American indie cinema. Um, but I do feel indie films will suffer greatly. And if you look at South by Southwest on Amazon Prime, um, with their sort of setup, it's telling that only like four or five feature films agreed to join that. Um, mainly because the moment your film goes on streaming, like Netflix, iTunes, Amazon, it will be out on Pirate Bay or Mega, and then people can watch it for free. So, do you know Eric Andre? Yeah, mm-hmm. and I mean, are you talking about Bad Trip? Bad Trip. Bad Mistake get... came out leaked didn't... from Amazon. 
and then yeah. they, and then everyone ended up seeing it. I didn't um, see it. I didn't. I wasn't aware that it leaked. But I'll. I mean, that does it suck. Le- it leaked, tor- and then people put it on the torrents, and then Amazon removed it. But now it's already out there. Yeah. So. Yep. So shall we move in to actually? Do you have anything to say about the new uh this the new uh Oscars about, about sound, their sound category best sound? Ah, uh, do I win an award now? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I was loud. I, I, I was loud, but because no, I think it's, it's more like I think it's more like boom. Now I win an award. Oh no, it's multiple. And then See, some music as well. And then someone singing and clapping. I'm already but, like a great sound designer. <laughs> what do you guys think of this new um, award? Well, I mean, we were talking about it before, but I think it's telling of the Oscars because it's them kind of admitting they don't know the difference between sound design and sound mixing, which we've known for years because they don't necessarily award movies that deserve it. They mainly award the ones with the loudest noise as we were just making fun of. I think this is also really impractical and very confusing because sound mixing and sound design are two different team production teams. Like one does sound design does folly work and sound mixing does like like stitches the sound together, like the dialogue, music, folly, all that. Um, and so it it makes me like um, it confuses me because I'm imagining on Oscars night when they announce best sound, they're going to invite like eight people on stage because usually like you've got they i mean they usually award like mm-hmm. teams of three or four for like each category but are they just going to invite the sound designers and the sound mixers on stage i mean here's the thing right like, I, it's gonna be interesting to see what how the awards are going to be judged from now on since they're made into one category because now we'll see like what uh you know which movies uh, you know stand for best sound because now, if it, I think this kind of changes up things, like you know, now the loudest movie won't win. Maybe they'll appreciate some more things about it. But yeah, I it's, I don't. You have to see. You know? mm-hmm. I don't think they should be like merging or getting rid of awards. I think they should like be adding more, like stuntman. Or I think now musical stand a little more of chance. You know, just because yeah. sound layering. I mean, yes. Uh, I, uh, I mean, I've said all I need to say. I do feel will be cool. Um, you mentioned stunt work, um, casting as well. That's uh, overlooked part. But also, I want to see an Oscar for like best uh, motion performance, or best, um, or you can call it best virtual performance. So it's best um, like a voiceover or motion capture or both. Then, then just give it to then just give it to Andy Circus like every year. Yeah, but like I feel like it's a uh, underrated part of films nowadays. I'd I'd rather rather than have like that category, I'd just rather have like for example David Thalou- 
Thulis get nominated for Best Actor for Anomalisa or Andy Serkis get nominated for Best Actor for Planet of the Apes. I think if that starts happening, then there's going to be less of a stigma on animation and like mocap as lesser forms of art. Oh, uh, I agree, but that'll be tough. I feel like if anyone's going to break that, like break the, the stigma, it's going to be Andy Serkis, who should have been nominated a while ago. But I guess like they're too scared to nominate a virtual, like a virtual performance. Because it's not again. It's not real, man. It's made on a computer, so we were nominated. Mm-hmm. It's. Too, I mean, at, here's the thing: if you make, if you get that, if you make a category, if you make the announcement that a motion capture will can be nominated for best actor, Andy Serkis will do a movie every year. He'll just make. Yeah. He'll just make fifty Planet of the Apes. And mm-hmm. one argument I think people bring up for not doing a best stunt category is that if you do a best stunt category, people will keep doing more dangerous and dangerous stunts in their film, which could be unsafe and lead to injuries and deaths just because they won an Oscar for best stunt, like just because they won an Oscar for themselves. I don't think I think it's the one who does it the best, not the one who does it like the most wild. Yeah. True, but if we go by if we go by the sound standards, most loud, that could trans. That, that is true. Being like craziest stunt, for example. That because- you make a good point. This is the academy. You know what? We 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 see. We are not sixty year old white men, so we cannot say what the academy is thinking. We do not know what they. Yeah. Next, they can be doing anything. Like the fact that they gave Pat. I was actually I was betting on the Irishman to win. Because it was like the black sheep. Like, no one was talking about it. So I was like, maybe the Irishman is going to win. But they surprised us. So we don't know what they're going to do. They could do anything. I'll let you guys know. I'll let you guys know what the Academy's thinking in like 40 years. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> my, my money was genuinely on um, 1917 in Hollywood. Those felt like the most... Because, um, I don't know. That just felt like the safest choices. And then Parasite... Uh, was announced. I damn near offended. Like what? What? I was. I was very big. I was in school and I had to like sneak in, sneak in of my friend's phone and I had to check the results. And I was like, I was shocked. I was giving a test and I was shocked. I was like, Parasite won. Holy shit! That's yeah, weird. I had to check after my film exam. It was weird. So I Yeah. Shall we dive in to our two selected films from? Brilliant director Spike Jones. Actually, before we start, let's just run over who Spike Jones is. Um, a genius. He is an eccentric character, I would say. I I love him. He's he he's one of my favorite directors. I think I've seen all five of his films, and all five of them are fantastic. And the ones I didn't give like a perfect score to are ones that I need to revisit. Because I feel like I didn't give them enough of a chance. Okay. I he's a very inspiring figure, and he's he was the director that my uh, directing teacher used as an example to during our class. So he's directed. Um, if you're not familiar with her, being John Malkovich adaptation uh, and where the wild where the wild things are, and also. Uh, the documentary The Beastie Boys Story. He's also known for doing a huge amount of music videos. He's done some for 
some some of the most influential ones like uh the fat boy slim music video the like did he do the buddy holly for weezer i can't remember which uh, weezer song he did but yeah he did a he's weezer done some from weezer i think he did one for uh, biggie um as well he did he did the famous um uh oh i i think by far his most famous music video is sabotage which like the influence of that can't be or how big that was can't really be described because like from what i've heard just that was everywhere on mtv like that was the mtv music video and if your music video was on mt even just played once on mtv that was a huge deal it was for you. also um more recently he's done a comedy special for aziz ansari where he directed that um that's on netflix it's called aziz ansari right now um interesting. and interesting yeah, he's also did the Beastie Boys uh, documentary recently. Uh, and he started out in skateboard mm-hmm. videos, and then he worked with Jackass. Um, and yeah. then and now he's making some of the most unique and creative films that... Is I mean, he? like, he, he has. He hasn't made one in, oh, yeah, like... Yeah, true. But... <laughs> It's been a he's while. one of the most interesting filmmaking creatives right now. Um, he's certainly very he's, he also, he's certainly very eccentric. Like what what he does, you know. Mm-hmm. Didn't he do like a Squarespace, Squarespace he, advert he, lately? Yes, yes. No, is that, that's not lately. That's like two years back. The Idris Elba one is that yeah. the one? Yeah, yeah. That, was, that was like two years back. That was that was creepy, man. He's he knows how to speak. Or he knows how to tell very human and very emotional stories too. I think, um, like just looking at his library, Malkovich, Adaptation, Wild Things, Her—they're all stories that really get the human experience right, but like specific human experiences. And you could like say that's because of Charlie Kaufman. That's because of this or that but you know without the right director those scripts don't work spike spike jones certainly certainly yeah. i agree like the, the emotions how how do and he does that sometimes without dialogue like we'll get mm-hmm. to that later in her yeah. and um yeah so mandy you want to introduce it so let's start off with adaptation yeah okay so adaptation is uh, was released in 2002 it was directed by spike jones written by charlie kaufman it stars nicholas cage meryl streep and chris cooper and it's about writer's block so the this writer is trying to write a screenplay about an orchid book and he gets writer's block so basically it's a horror movie for writers <laughs> so that's a yeah. so what do we so what do we think Adaptation's great. I mean, it was close to a ten for a me. I love that 10 movie. Ten for me. Same, same. Um, yeah, same. I, I'm, I'll give it a, I give it a nine. Yep, same. Mm-hmm. I was surprised by it, especially Nicolas Cage, because he gives us a fairly subdued performance um, compared to a lot of the other films I've seen from him. Mm-hmm. Um, 
he does he's a does dual role performance. So he plays Donald Kaufman and Charlie Kaufman. Uh, by the way, spoilers. Um, by the way, spoilers for adaptation. Yeah, so, oh yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, so what I liked was his performance was the most like subdued and more the most natural performance I've seen him give because we all know him for his crazy expressionistic performances, whether it be Mandy or Color Out of Space or Bad Lieutenant, which is truly insane. Yes. Um, but this was really a subdued and simple performance that I really appreciated from him. Um, there are certain sequences where you can really feel just how low the character is feeling and how weak his self-esteem is. Yeah. And that is really well conveyed through the subtle like body language and the way like the way he pronounces or the way he um emphasizes certain words. I was yeah, that was a really interesting um performance. And you look at Donald, Donald Kaufman, you can tell his posture has changed up a bit. It's more out like his posture is more open. Whereas you have Charlie who's sort of punched in almost. Um, the way he speaks, just his entire demeanor changes really well between the two characters. And I thought it was a brilliant performance. And in my opinion, the best performance in the film and the one that should have won the Oscar. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, I think I think the fact that Nick Cage can play Charlie Kaufman, one of the greatest screenwriters, and he can play Ghost Rider is just baffling. You know, it's it's definitely. I think his performance was the best thing about the movie. The writing, I even yeah. Yeah, like the writing. Writing was really good, but his performance elevates elevates the writing too. Because mm-hmm. with the wrong performance, this movie could have been so bad. Go with the the wrong actor but nick cage he delivered man so hats off i think it the movie does a really good job of uh portraying like anxiety in somebody Mm -hmm. and like introversion too uh i'd like to imagine that donald cough so okay for those who don't already know donald kaufman is not real um that Charlie Kaufman is real. Donald Kaufman is not real. Anyway, I'd like to imagine that Donald is the version of Charlie that Charlie wants to be, which is like this super outgoing, um, content like with, stylish guy, content with ex- with himself version, uh, at, who's also like this genius writer, whereas what he actually is, is or who he actually is, is the shy always second guessing himself and like too nervous to speak up charlie i think it's um it's a it, it's a good piece of self expression in a way uh because obviously he's writing about himself and i don't know i think i it does a good job with um kind of putting that introverted type of person on screen also i think i also i think that it's the only movie which can which which addresses the fact that this first star is not so good like i was like the thing is i'm not saying it was not that bad i'm just like it was a meh like you know like i don't know where this is going and then the story itself addresses that okay the first like you know the movie the first star is not so good the second star should be you know full of surprises and twists I I found that very like I found that very amusing mm-hmm. because I think only Charlie think, Kaufman can do that and get away with it. 
the way the film is written, even the most boring moments of the film feel so incredibly purposeful that you give it a pass because you know it has a purpose and it's actually carrying its purpose very well. Mm-hmm. And it all will connect to this greater narrative and greater commentary on how films are written. How anything's written, really. Um... Man, like... Uh... The ending, right? Can we talk about the ending or should we go to... Because I feel like a lot of people misinterpret the ending. A lot of people were disappointed by it. Like, if you go to... If you go online and you read, uh, you know, like, uh, forums and stuff, everyone was... Like, during the release of the movie in 2002, like, the forums were like, oh, I was disappointed by the ending. It was not so good. And the ending is supposed to be what it's exactly not supposed to be. Like, in the uh, when he meets the writer, like, uh, the guy... I don't. I forgot his name. Some it's something McKee. So uh, Chris, uh, Robert McKee. Yeah. Robert McKee. So he's the, like the Tiger he's like, King uh, guy, right? Oh, oh no! You're talking about the uh, what? Never mind. Um, <laughs> I thought you were talking about Chris <laughs> Cooper. I don't know. I thought. Never mind. Um, no, no, not Chris Cooper. Uh, uh, talk about the McKee. Yeah. the guy. I forgot. Yeah, no, the the story guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know now. Um, so like when he when he goes to him and he says that you can't have a dose X mark and all. Or you can't have, you know, you can't, you not have exactly, you know, you're not have, you're not supposed to have this. He, that's what exactly happens in the film. Like there's a car accident, and you know, and like there's a crocodile that kills, you know, Laros. And it's very, it's very funny, and it's very self, self-aware, and that's like the smartest of it. But no one knows that, so people were like, oh, people didn't realize that. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked also when he had the line of. For the love of God, don't begin your movie with a voiceover, and 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 exactly yeah, that seemed exactly. like yeah, was basically was. a critique of the movie up to that point, which is really fascinating. But but I think it's I I don't think they tried to make like a movie that they felt was you know below them. I think they were just kind of. Like you said, because it's about writer's block, they were kind of poking fun at the like tropes that writers try to use to get out of writer's block. Oh yeah, I, I do agree with that. Um, um, and at the same time, you could say the film also kind of adapts the book as well. Um, was it uh, Stolen? No, The Orchid Thief. I mean... It does like a mini adaptation of the Orchid Thief while being its own bigger thing and then connecting into the Orchid Thief. I was like, wow, that that, that blew me away, that aspect of it. I was... Yeah. Was it... Yeah, I think think people walk into this movie expecting like a big twist. Like, like I... Uh, watching John, my being on Malkovich and walking into this movie is wrong because people expect something, but it's not that. It's very different. Mm-hmm. It's more subtle. I think it's more subtle than being John Malkovich because being John Malkovich in in the starting ten minutes itself, the movie is like, bizarre and weird, and it like goes to levels, you know. And you like you you can see that the movie is weird and uh, you know out you know like that. But uh, adaptation more subtle in my sense. Like Charlie Kaufman, uh, you know, he's a better like he's he knows. And, it's you know, a lot more a grounded compared to, um, I would say, Jones's other work. Um, this and her, which we'll get into mm-hmm. a bit later, is, I'd say, the less whimsy of Spike Lee's work. When um, not Spike Lee, Spike Jones. Um, when you compare, 
I don't know. Do the right thing is pretty <laughs> but, good. Um, like it's fairly yeah, it's a lot more grounded and um and strives for at least a somewhat feeling of realism compared to the formalistic and uh, as mentioned, the fantastical whimsy of um the previous um uh, where the well things are and being John Malkovich. It's uh, adaptation. I think I was also like slightly disappointed by the ending, but then when you search up about it, you're like, okay, that's that's good. You know, like that, that's a, that's what it's supposed to be. But yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty fucking awesome. A, li- a little tidbit about the film: Tom Hanks was originally um, going to be uh, Charlie and Donald. Um, however, I f- I think they ended up going to. Um, Nicholas Cage, but I I think Nicholas Cage is is better than Tom Hanks for this role because the thing is that I don't feel Tom Hanks can really play someone that beaten down and low in self esteem. He's yeah, he's just too happy. His public persona in general is just too. Tom Hanks is, comes off as too. Oh, Nicky has expression. No, Nicky has expression throughout the whole movie where he's like. Charlie as Charlie, he's like his face. He has this like nervous expression wherever he goes. It's, yeah, constantly it's, anxiety. Throughout the, about the, throughout the whole movie, he keeps the same face, you know, like everywhere. And even when he's like smiling and talking, he's still like nervous, and you know, his eyes are wide. And it, that's those little things. Like I don't think Tom Hanks can pull that off. I I see Tom Hanks is not bad. He's not. He's not. He's far from that mm-hmm. actually. But I mean, when it comes to those things, like Nick yeah. Cage is obviously better than him. I feel, yeah, I just feel Tom Hanks is just way too cheery and upbeat, both in his persona mm-hmm. um, and as an actor. I don't think, I just feel it would be, he has he has too much of an air of confidence around him that I don't think he could pull off. Uh, I feel like he'd be a great Donald Kaufman, but he wouldn't really work as Charlie Kaufman. Mm-hmm. I, I like the way um, adaptation opens, where they're on the set of being John Malkovich, um, and they sort of show us how um, low Kaufman's self-esteem is, and how like he feels that no one respects him. As right off the bat, people are like, who the hell are you, even though he's the one who wrote the movie? That was I like that bit. And then you get a... Yeah, I felt that that was just Little touches like that was good. Or like when he waved to John Cusack and just got ignored. I wonder if it's, I wonder if that's how it was like, or that's what it was like. I know he said like working with Spike was has is like a good experience, and like Spike is very open to ideas and collaboration. But like, I wonder if the rest of the set was like that to him, because this seems like a very honest movie, mm-hmm. like. I I'm I wonder how much of it is real. Like I wonder if that waitress was real. I wonder if like I don't know. I want like this seems too close and personal to Charlie Kaufman's actual life. Obviously, you know, he didn't watch Chris Cooper get <laughs> decimated by an alligator. He didn't sneak and spy on fucking Meryl Streep, but like yeah, mm-hmm. he you know, I have a feeling like certain episodes in this movie definitely did happen. I mean, I think what, I think Charlie, Spike Jones uh, perfectly adapts what Charlie Coffin wants to do. Like his vision, I think they really go well together because he, because 
spike jones you know like his direction style is very is very it's, uh, it's it matches with uh, kaufman so i feel like when they whenever they do something is it's just it comes out really 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 good mm-hmm. especially being on malkovich like i feel like now i don't the thing is i like it tad bit more than adaptation mm-hmm. i mean it's not i don't see the thing is i like both the movies but i i like it a tad bit more cuz i don't know just being john malkovich it it was a blast I'd like to watch the movie so i'm just i'm just saying it's not it doesn't need you know it's i'm not saying adaptation is bad you know it's just saying it's a tad better than being normal malkovich For me, i would place adaptation higher uh, i just thought that the john malkovich really gets great in the last act compared to adaptation which i felt always felt great and purposeful compared to John Malkovich. Um but I guess that's just me. But do you have, do you have any um if if you have any issues what's your issues with adaptation or um and that sort of like my I I never said I never said I had oh, any no, 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 issues. No, no, I just sorry. said yeah, I, I mean, um, in general do you guys have any like flaws with adaptation? I don't think not so. really. Um, I I guess this both applies to uh being John Malkovich and adaptation. Um, it's shot on early digital cameras, so it looks fairly murky and visually a bit messy, especially like being John Malkovich. I honestly feel I would have loved a lot more if they shot it on film and it looked more vibrant because I get they want to go for this really gray look, but I feel like it's just too dull to look at almost. And, um, like I just feel the use of early digital is kind of bad in being John Malkovich. I'm more forgiving of that kind of thing. I think. Yeah, like like yeah, movie was too entertaining for like for I I didn't was it shot on digital? I didn't even know that. I thought it was shot on film. I, I also like with those two movies. I've only seen them on like streaming services or something. Exactly. Like I've got I've got the criteria on Blu-ray of being John Malkovich on its way to my house as we speak so like you know maybe criterion was able to like upscale it or you know remaster it in a way so that it looks doesn't look like you know how how it did back in 1999 um i mean granulus kind of helps though with the movie i think yeah i mean i i like that that feel just a little tidbit actually uh adaptation was shot on film but yeah, I do like the way our patient looks compared to um, being Jamalkovich. And also, another fun fact. Did you know that in Turkey, when they showed the film on TV, they removed 30 minutes, no, 35 minutes of the runtime? In Tokyo? No, um, in Turkey. In Turkey, Turkey. okay. Yes, yeah, so um, adaptation is only 80 minutes if you were to watch it on a Turkish TV channel. What are they? Why? What are they? I'm not sure, but... I like, just find that interesting. Like, do they take out the? Do they take out all the like references drug to stuff. sex? I think drugs, sex, that sort of stuff they've removed. Um, okay, <laughs> that's that's weird. Then why show it at all? Yeah, if you're gonna remove that much, I don't get the point. Like in India, even like they'll like they'll censor, like they'll show a movie like The Big Lebowski and they'll censor it. I'm like, what's the point? The movie is supposed to be full of efforts. If you're showing the movie, just un- just don't censor it. These monkey flying snakes on oh, these yeah. Monday to Friday planes. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean that, that's legendary. But here, just bleep, just bleep it. I'm like, why? Mm-hmm. What's the point? Just don't show the movie. And anytime, 
and if you go on, if you go to cinema in India and someone is smoking, a big sound go smoking is bad for your health immediately when someone starts smoking in a film. You know that was like you know that was like there was a tweet which said that the biggest villain in Joker was the smoking sign. So that was that's funny. Like yeah, that's why I didn't go to the theater to watch that movie because I heard that I was like I'm gonna be turned off by that. And then. Hmm. In Ford v Ferrari, they actually censored alcohol bottles in the in the screening. I heard. So in the mm. bit where the main guy is drinking, they're like they just censored all the alcohol labels. Like you might as well just like CG and replace it with apple juice or something. Like the whole can of Coke or something. But um, yeah. But also, I, I where does it? I can't relate. Where does I'm it always sorry. come back to? Ah, it's fun. Where where does it? Why does it always come back to India? And I don't know. But one thing I hate in general on watching t- films on TV on TV on TV channels is when they crop when they push in the screen, they crop yeah. like that. That gives me a headache. Like you're cutting off half the screen. Like it's just a complete and utter disrespect towards the cinema and the vision. So, any last uh, comments regarding adaptation? Yeah, he is very good. And the thing is, I just, I it was good. Nine out of ten, very, very well done movie. Very, it has, it has, it has a lot more to, uh, you know, it, it's more show, it's more show, uh, you know, tell, show more. I mean, it's more show than tell. So there's a lot of things. I like it. Nine out of ten. I, it's one of my favorite movies. Um, Spike Jones is very important to me as both a film fan and as a filmmaker. And I think adaptation is one of, I mean, obviously he's made, I don't know. I say, I say five because I count the beastie boys movies, but I mean, four realistically movies. Um, and all of them are like damn near perfect. So, I mean, it's hard to say this is the stronger of any of them, but it's a very strong film. I, yeah, I agree. Um, I think my highlights are definitely Nick Cage's performance, the direction, and uh, Kaufman's screenplay. I was surprised that um, Chris Cooper won the Oscar for playing um, John LaRoche because it wasn't bad in the film. I thought it was great, but it wasn't Oscar-worthy. I feel like if anyone should have won the Oscar, it should have been Nicolas Cage. Um, And... I do love how layered and deep and reflective the screenplay and the film is not only about making films, but about writing films and just about dealing with life in general. I thought it's just a really beautiful film and it's definitely worth checking out. So shall we move on to our, our next film that we have chosen on a little Spike Jones double feature. Um, this film came out in 2013. It is by Spike Jones. It is a romance drama sci-fi. It stars Joaquin Phoenix, um, Scarlett Johansson, uh, Rooney Mara, Amy Adams, Chris Pratt, Olivia Wilde, um, and a couple of other people. So, yeah, we're going to talk about her. And it's written by uh, Spike Jones, uh, and the vi- cinematography was done by Hoyt Van Hoytema. So, what do you guys think on this film? What's your thoughts? Is is one of my favorite movies of all time. It's it's really 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 really, I, really good. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think it 
it's uh, one that when I watched it for the first time, I thought it was great on the technical level. But then later in my life, I learned to appreciate it. Um, do we want to talk about, uh, like, before we go on, the kind of parallels to Lost in Translation at all? Oh, for sure. I haven't watched Lost in Translation, so... Uh, I mean, you want me to, like, run down what, what exactly I'm talking about and prove I'm not a lunatic? I mean, I know it's I know it's directed I know uh, so it's directed by Sofia Coppola and they're like and they're divorced so well, I know that I know this uh, like people are like the similarities mm-hmm. yeah I know that but I didn't watch the movie oh yeah sorry so I'm I'm I can't I don't know what to say so all right my bad I'd say let's do let's do a brief ish like comparison basically um, basically both her and um, Lost in Translation are stories about. Uh, Spike Jones and Sofia Coppola's relationship slowly falling apart. Told from different perspectives. Interestingly, I, th- I think it's th- those two existing together is important because you get you almost get the full story. Um, you see, uh, and I mean, you basically kind of see, it's beautiful almost to like see how Spike sees their relationship versus how like. Um, uh, Sophia kind of sees it. And like, you know, Sophia obviously wrote, you know, from a more recent and yeah, probably more painful more. place because, um, and Spike obviously had some time to think about it, but like, um, I thought those comparisons were kind of, I don't know. It's, um, I feel like Lost in yeah. Translation feels a bit more cynical compared to her, in my opinion. Um, it's more of a, I wouldn't say angry film, but yeah, frustrated. Frustrated. Yeah, that's what I'd say. Um, compared to her, which felt somewhat hopeful. Again, that's probably because Sofia Coppola most likely wrote it a couple year, like maybe a year or two after her divorce with Spike, and Spike had pro- like uh, almost a decade to think of to think about it and permeating it um but i mean that's just a little interesting thing i wanted to bring up uh if there's nothing else we have to say about it which uh which film do you prefer out of the two in your her mind so yeah i'd go for her i don't know i found lost in translation kind of boring when i watched it i really i got what i was going for but i just was like okay and like i don't know i just thought her is just a better film on every regard. They're both fantastic, in my opinion, but I think her um, her hits different. Oh yeah, the effect that her had on me after watching it on the, for the first time, even my rewatch, mm-hmm. was I think one of the most effect, some of the most effective uh, yeah. like emotional filmmaking I've seen, because it really hits you. When it hits you, First of all, can we talk about Walking Phoenix? I think, man, Walking Phoenix. I think it's best. I think it's his best performance. You cannot. I, according to me, at least, it's his best performance because there's there's so much subtleties in his performance. Like there's this scene right where he's leaning against the glass, he's looking out the window, and you can see there's like you can see like the sadness in his eyes and everything. I know it sounds, I know it sounds like philosophical shit but when you look at the sadness in his eyes and everything you like you can you can see it and that's what i love about the love about this movie first thing walking phoenix performance great 
I think elevated the script, man. Like, like again with a lesser, like lesser, you know, mm-hmm. uh, bad actor, this movie could have been like shit. But Joaquin Phoenix does it. I, oh, uh, I hundred percent agree. That I do feel it is. Uh, I'm not sure if it is like mm-hmm. best objectively. That would probably be the master, but. I do feel personally it's mm. my favorite performance from Joaquin Phoenix and it's the one I it hit me the most and I guess it's the one that you can connect with the most. Um I feel yeah I agree all the subtleties but just how he felt like someone you know in his performance he feels like someone you've met and talked to and that's partly because of Spike Jones amazing writing but also Joaquin's performance really grounds it down and allows you to not only relate to him but just really empathize and sympathize with what is happening to him and through that you sort of feel like you know this guy like you've been his friend for a few years I don't know I just thought Mm -hmm. it's a very captivating it's it's just it's a very emotionally so it's, very, it's a very emotionally yeah. weighted movie you know, it's full and like obviously like we're talking about you know the leaving the divorce and everything mm-hmm. like you can see you know like he's been divorced he's full of pain and you know he's not accepting anything until this ai comes into his life and changes everything and it's weird like in its spike jones way it's it's normal like for a person, it's like, oh, it's very I weird, think... but it still fits, like, Spike Jones' style. Like, he doesn't make it weird. Like, I, you can easily see, like, a comedy movie or, like, a, uh, you know, like a shit movie about the same concept. There was. Like, taking an AI and... Jexy. As, um, I haven't seen it, but it's a sort of trailer. It has Adam Devine. Um, it looks like a fake, oh, like, an SNL skit to make fun of those sort of movies. I refuse to believe that but movie's it is real. real. Sadly. Um, so it's called, yeah, it's called Jexy. And it's like the tethered version of her, basically. See, exactly. Like this, like this is such a concept that's, that can be beat, that can be so, which can be, done I mean, I don't know how to word it, it. Yeah, it's done in a horrible way, but you know, Spike Jones's way, he did it and he did it right. Basically, it's what if it was her but the AI was just really mean to the guy and the guy mm-hmm. was really dumb. And then the AI swears, but the AI is funny. It's just like, it's bad. It's, but um, mm-hmm. yeah, I do agree. I feel in the hands of a lot of directors, uh, her could have been an extremely um, just generic boring and lifeless film however with spike jones and his writing it's a very personal Mm -hmm. and warm and beautiful just film and one thing i do appreciate is that it is sci-fi at the end of the day a lot of people overlook its uh uh, sci-fi-ness but one thing i love is it's a lot of times when you see a sci-fi film about the future or our, or our near future it's always dystopian it's always sad and dystopian like the world's gone to crap everyone's sad and this is an optimistic look into the future if you ask me where technology is 
beautifully integrated to our day-to-day lives and all it does is just help us become better people and i don't know i just feel the way he, um he crafts this la was very clever so if you didn't know it's a mashup of shanghai or was it Shang- shanghai or beijing and la so they did a lot of filming in shanghai and law filming in LA, and they sort of merged it together. And in the exterior shots, they've basically composited in some buildings from Shanghai, and they've created basically a hybrid of the two cities. That's wow. um, through set design, um, through CGI. It's quite interesting, actually. Um, mm-hmm. So there are those scenes where um, you know, like um, Theodore is just walking on the bridge. Then, as he walks out of frame into the next shot, it he, we go from a shot of him in China basically to him in LA. But it's really clever how the production design team, um, who I think it was the same team that worked on Lost in Translation, managed to beautifully create this idealistic and beautiful future compared to all this sad and dystopian fiction we get about our near future. The cinematography, I think that's the that's the most un, like underappreciated aspect of this movie. I feel no one talks mm-hmm. about the cinematography. It's re, it's simple. Like there's no there's not anything complicated, but it's simple. But it's mm-hmm. uh, it's like very well shot, like all the with the colors and. Oh, I agree. It never relies on gimmicks or sort of cheap tricks, mm-hmm. cheap cheap flashy tricks. Yeah. That make you go, oh, you know, it's very subdued. It, it looks beautiful. It's a beautiful looking film, but the cinematography is never too in your face. It gently moves it with the film, and it's. I would say it's very subdued and raw, but very affecting and personal and um, purposeful, especially. What else has he done? He's done uh, Dunkirk. He's done Ad Astra. Ad I thought looked amazing. Oh, amazing. I think it was snubbed, yeah. honestly. I am wrong. I it deserved a nomination at least. If that movie looked good. Hoyt, I think man, he's he's under underappreciated. So he's he's doing Tenet next and he's done uh Spectre, Dunkirk, Interstellar, Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy, Ad Astra, The Fighter, uh her. Mm-hmm. I I especially like the shot of him on the stairs. I, I like that whole sequence in general where he's sitting on the stairs um, because I think it captures that. Uh, it's something that I thought when I saw this in, I must've been like 16 when I first saw this, when I saw it back then, I thought like, wow, this is, you know, really well shot, blah, blah, blah. And the stair scene was very well acted. And then I grew up, I had some experiences. I met some people who meant a lot to me. I mm-hmm. dated a bit. I had a couple of relationships that ended for one reason or another. And I watched that scene again and I see me in some of those situations. That that feeling of of knowing that mm-hmm. it's over and there's nothing you can do about it, but not wanting it to be, but at the same time wanting to make sure that this person who means so much to you stays in your life. I think that's very well, very well done in this movie. Um, especially that ending monologue. 
I don't know if I could ever watch that again because it'll bring me to tears. <laughs> but um, that ending monologue of um, him, his letter to his uh, ex-wife, ba- yeah, basically like telling her that you know he still loves her even though they can't be together, and that. I'm I'm starting to tear up thinking about it. Um, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Same, bro. Yeah. Sad boy hours on podcast. No, but in a good in a good way. In a good way. It's yeah. a very hopeful film, and it it's gotten me through quite a bit. I think in a cathartic way. I mean, if I have one complaint with this film, see, it's a fire of fire. But if I have one complaint with the film, is that they named Amy Adams Amy. Yeah. Okay, so, but they like... named like. Uh, they, I mean, I was just watching. Uh, I don't. I don't even remember. I don't know what example I was gonna have, um, but like, <laughs> they've done that so many times in so many movies. It like, uh, it doesn't. It doesn't matter. I'm, I'm. I'm. I was like. I think she was like a last minute yeah. uh, recruit. Okay. I loved her performance in this. I feel it's one of the more underrated, um, overlooked performances. She's really good at this, and I don't know, it just feels like, I feel like all the performances in the film feel, I don't know, you feel like you know these people, and you feel like you know people like them, and I thought that was a very good aspect of the film. Uh, I do agree that, I don't know, the ending, while crushing, had, uh, say, saddening, or, I don't know, it may, it, it makes, it's cathartic, but you do feel a bit um, teary out at the end. But it's also very hopeful, I would say. Um, that that that's what I was saying. Yeah, it's it's hopeful, like especially because you know that the love between these two people still still exists. It just it's a different kind of love now. Um, it like I I'm gonna draw the parallel to marriage story. It's the love you have for somebody who once was the most important person in your life, who now can no longer be that person, but you still can't completely forego your feelings for them. I think it's also the thing that you can love anything you want. Like, there's no definition of what you have to love, you know? Like, you can, you can love an AI, there's no... Mm-hmm. Like, people look weird, but you can love anything you want. And that, like, the sequence when, like, everyone is talking to the AI, and everyone, yeah, is, yeah. and yeah, that, yeah. that that was because so that like gives you hope. Like you can you can love anything you want. You don't you don't need to be confined to what society thinks. No, like that. I I like that. Like the thing that you don't because when when he says like oh I'm I'm you know I'm dating an AI. I'm just like oh you're dating an AI. Like that's weird. But then like Amy Adams, like Amy Adams, she's like you're dating an AI. But then she does it herself later. Like she's talking with the AI and everything. So like. Yeah, exactly. So that's so that's what I'm saying. You you can do any. You can love anyone you want. If it well, you can love ev- anyone anything you want yeah. if they like consent to it. With an AI. Like, yeah, pedos go the fuck away. Um, also, what I do think is mentioning is as it's a very simple point, but it's very clever how um, Spike Jones utilizes a very well known voice that is Scarlett Johansson um, in the film because. A moment you hear her talk, it's a very rec- she's a very recognizable voice. So you immediately connect with her voice. You immediately mm-hmm. connect with it. Whereas if they use someone who wasn't as well known, 
I feel it would take longer. For they did. So basically, like, Whereas, there's someone else supposed to be. Uh, yeah, uh, her. there was, but they weren't as well known. Yeah, it was like a Wait, British what? actress. It, it, yeah, there, there was, was someone a, else was who, who were like in the studio, right? And they were recording her lines. Then Scarjo came in and Spike Jones made her record the lines, and then he was like, so basically they were using someone else for reference. And when they got Scarjo in, he was like, this is the one. So they replaced the other actor okay. with Scarjo. I would say that was that okay. was a yeah, good strike. Um, Samantha 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 Morton, who is a British actress. Yeah, I do feel the way, her performance, Scarlett Johansson, gives an incredible virtual performance, and it's yeah, like you connect to her really quickly because of the recognizability of her voice, um, and I feel that that use of star power is clever. Like if you had, I think the same effect would work if you got. Tom Hanks or someone with that level of likability and collectability. Wait, you said Samantha. Sorry, you said Samantha Morton. No, no, no uh, yeah, she she was originally meant to play um, Samantha. I know who Samantha Morton is. She was in Snatch New York. Jesus Christ! Why didn't I? Why didn't I remember that? But um, yeah, so I thought like that. The way we connect to Samantha is very clever. Uh, if they. If they used someone who wasn't a household name, I don't think it would have worked as well. Mm-hmm. But that's just um, my. The score is also. The score. Just I was. A... I was about to say, man. The score. Mm-hmm. If you it's haven't, if you haven't, if you haven't put on your earphones and listened to Loneliness Three at two a.m. in the night, <laughs> what have you been doing with your life, like? Mm. And. Yeah. It's yeah, it's an audible delight if you ask me. It's just so gentle and meditative. But it's there not released. Do you know it's not released yeah. anywhere? Like you can't find it. What? Like there's no official release of the soundtrack. You can only find what? it. What? Yeah. There's that. No. Yeah, yeah. You can go check it out. They they did not officially release the soundtrack. They released it for like one day, I think, and then they took it all of it, all of it out. There's no vinyl, so it's basically like people did like copy it and like post it on the internet. But there's there no official release. There is the Moon song, um, that she sings in the film. At least that's a good song. I like that song. Mm. Um, Lying in the Moon. I mean, would, do we have anything else to say about it? Or? Uh, no, hmm. not really. I mean, not hmm. that anything comes to mind. I mean, I mean, I would say. I don't. Do Do you guys th- okay? Let's actually have a question about AI. How soon do you think we're going to reach level of AI where we have like really smart AIs like Samantha that is able to connect with us? That like, how long do you think that's going to be until that happens? Like, what's can your I, predictions? Can I tell you something? If you ever played Doki Doki Literature Club, you'd know that we're there. Oh my god, Doki Doki Literature Club! <laughs> never heard of it. <laughs> have you heard of Doki Doki Literature Club? No, bro, bro, no, you, you have to play the game. It's free on Steam. Go check it out. I swear to you, we don't don't see, don't look it up, don't look up anything. Just play the game. Uh, okay, we'll see. Um, but yeah, do you guys think we will get that level of AI soon, or like I feel it's something that will happen in the next twenty years. I don't think it's happening so soon. Can I can I tell you something? Can I tell you something? You know, in in two thousand like eleven or twelve, we were like VR gaming is the future, and in twenty twenty, we are getting uh, Minecraft in RTX. I think it's gonna be a long time before we get AI that smart. I'm just telling yeah. you. Yeah, AI like, that evolves. 
Like, I, I think that's kind of like, I don't know, because a big part of why she was so smart was because she kept growing. I don't think it happened because the thing is, a com- whatever you whatever you tell the computer to do that, it'll do that. So exactly. it'll be very yeah. difficult to it will be very, very difficult to like get, you know, computer think of its own. Like you're supposed to put input something like Alexa. I think Alexa works that way, too. Like you have to tell something the automated response and, it'll, you know, it'll trip it'll do that thing yeah. so it's very difficult but it could happen like, you know but robots that, robots evolving exist, so. ai is also a bit deadly for example if you throw back your mind to 2016 there was a microsoft twitter ai bot called Tado ai <laughs> and mm-hmm. basically twitter <laughs> turned it into a racist bot okay because yeah. it's very easy to do you just it's very easy to influence and it easily evolves so you just sort of mess with it give it some ideologies and then in like two seconds you got little ai hitler basically mm-hmm. um so i do feel i hope we get like i feel like we we need um moral and ethical ais that can evolve before we well, if, we're, that, our, if they're a reflection of us then we're not going to get any anytime soon yeah I feel like, yeah, her is a very optimistic future. But at the same time, I love how ambiguous... Because it could be two years from now. It could also be 50 years from now. I love that ambiguity they present to us in the film. Yeah. And the technology is not, like, showy off. Like, when you see a lot of films, like, uh, you know... No, films set in the future. The first thing, they'll have, like, a shot of the, the, you know, like, the new technology or something. But in this a movie, it's not. Flies above yeah, you. I mean, yeah, <laughs> you know, I'm envisioning Blade Runner exactly, like because they show mm-hmm. up the th- show like technology. But here, it's more subtle. Like that's the least. Like they don't talk about it. Like he plays a game, you know, with with his hands, everything. Like, like they don't, the, they never mention it, or they're like, they're not like, this is the future. This is the that game. kind of game exists now. It's just AR. <laughs> uh, like, I mean, half life Alex. Realistic. Half life Alex comes close, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, but. but that's like it's not showing off like the technologies and the technology it's pretty good so that's all i'm trying to say and the use of cg is very subtle i like how subtle it is mm-hmm. i love other type of films would show it i throw like you know you'd have like a huge city shot with like some sort of big fake cg building or like as you mentioned like a little flying car and it would show off a lot but i love how subtle and, and like calm the entire film's aesthetic is yeah, um, it's a very quiet film. Like, if you look at it, it's a very quiet film. It's a there's chill, no, it's like, a chill film. Like, when the when the AI movies. leaves, there's not like any big bright. You see them floating into the sky up to yeah, the stars. Yeah. They just they just shut they're off. Sitting. They're yeah. sitting. They're just sitting. They just sitting. They they go to the terrace and just sit. That's it. Yeah, and they're like Samantha, and that's when you know she's gone. I think that's like when you're talking about like the thing where they're leaving. You know, like I think uh, in in retrospective of their marriage, you know, Spike Jones's and Sophia Coppola's, I think like that's like a good metaphor. She just left, mm-hmm. you know, without anything. Out I mean, of nowhere. Yeah. I thought it was beautiful though that because I always saw the relationship with Samantha, like um, God, what's his name? Uh, is it Theodore? The yeah, Theodore's relationship with Samantha is the metaphor for. You know Spike Jones's marriage, not hit, not the ex-wife character. So I thought it was beautiful that basically Spike Jones was saying she evolved past me. 
Oh. Oh, that's nice. Ooh, that's a yeah. Oh, interesting. Like, that, and, you know, she, like, I, I wasn't enough for her. She needed, I was keeping her from spreading her wings. And, almost. I mean, you could say that, because if you look at her uh, filmography, for example. Um, not even, like, that, just in general. Like, stuff we may not know about their personal life and stuff. I'm just, I have a feeling that he felt she's now in a better place or happier yeah. And she just, he just, she just needed to make that sacrifice. Interestingly enough, Nicolas Cage is related to Sofia Coppola. Um, I think they're cousins or something. Yeah. Uh, or something, they are cousins. Nicholas, yeah, Nicholas Cage Coppola is. So like, it comes it's almost full circle basically with the where we start with um, yeah we have Spike Jones we. Nicholas Cage, Spike Jones, Sofia Coppola, and that connects us back to Nick Cage. Scarlett Johansson. So basically, so basically Nick Cage is the so Nick Cage is a connection. He's everything. He's everything. He is he's the connection that the world needs now. He's always this. relevant. He is he is. He's never not yeah, it's true. Mm-hmm. Um I mean what else? It's good. I I like I, last thing I'll say is uh, I'm I'm glad they didn't force like a thing between Amy Adams and Walking Phoenix. I'm yeah, me too. So it was very yeah. It just it felt yeah. It didn't feel, yeah. It just felt so natural. Um, the progression between uh, Amy Adams and um, uh, Amy and Theodore. So I feel discussion wise, that's all for today. However, um, I want my friend Ben. Right, you. We're gonna give you some time to basically plug plug whatever you want. Um, go ahead. Uh, All right. Tell the audience about yourself. Uh, anything? Yeah, just go ahead. This is your time. Okay. Go free. Okay. Um, I, as mentioned at the beginning of the, at, of the show, I run two podcasts. Uh, one that comes out around every two weeks, and one that's very, very occasional. Um, Take three is the more regular one, where me and two other hosts, Adam and Tess, discuss. Um, we basically pick a topic and we discuss movies related to that topic. Uh, the one where uh, the next episode is going to be uh, an interview I did with Shiv- with Shivam, but the one after that, that's going to be the main cast again. We're, for example, we're going to do uh, funniest movies each of us have seen, and we're going to talk about why we think those movies are funny. Um, then you can go to Bleacher Boys, which is a lot more lax. I basically bully my co-host Sean into watching whatever I want him to. And we talk about it. Um, For the past couple of episodes, we've been talking about bad movies. Um, Hopefully that'll change once we record episode four, because we're going to be talking about Parasite, but it's a lot more lax and funny. And um, I have a lot more fun with like the uh, visual side of it. It's, it's a lot more of me just kind of like playing with premiere or something like that. Um, Besides those, um, I don't know when this is going to get started, but um, I am a part of a, I am a fourth of a four person YouTube channel called Offshot, where the original plan was for me and three of my friends to do sketch comedy. Um, The COVID-19 virus kind of curbed us. so right now we're working on like a discord kind of call thing that we did that was pretty funny um i don't know when that'll be 
available or ready, but just keep your eye out for it. And besides that, um, just keep a lookout for my name. Um, I'm, I've written a couple of screenplays. Um, I'm shopping one around and making edits to it. I hope I produce it. It's a short film, um, and it'll probably be posted to my YouTube channel. Uh, and uh, that's that's about all I can think about. Um, uh, trans rights, gay rights, um, support your local grocery store employees, um, be safe, um, and just don't be an asshole. <laughs> also, uh, Ben's podcast, Take Three, it's on Spotify, and so is this podcast. Uh, if you just go on Spotify and search up the Take Three podcast, you'll find Ben. And if you search, no, you'll up- find a bunch of other podcasts called the Take Three podcast. <laughs> just look for the one with the dumb drawings. And if you um, search up after films with Shivam and Mandy, you'll find our little podcast. So, yep, yeah, please do head over to Ben's channel. Um, you know, show him some love. Uh, listen to his podcasts, they're great and you might see me in one of his podcasts very soon and also um, we'll put Ben's socials in the description below our next episode is going to be uh, a Bong Joon-ho special with um, our friend uh, John Bizup from a few podcasts uh, as well as um, his big presence on Twitter so that will be coming out hopefully soonish. Um, and yeah, let me know uh, what you thought of this episode, everyone. Uh, Mandy, any closing remarks? This was good. I liked it. Yeah. And let us know any films you want us to discuss in the future and any guests you want on the future. We know for a fact that we'll be bringing Ben on back again very soon so yeah thanks for watching hope you enjoyed our little podcast uh thanks for listening and we'll see you guys in the next one